I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we cover the news from the video games industry. We talk about games on PCs, on consoles, on everything. I'm not saying mobile anymore. I've kind of given up on games on mobile. We'll see if some savior comes and saves us, uh, the, the, the traditional gamers, at some point. But uh, today we have a lot of things to talk about. Well, maybe not a lot, but specifically one inter- interesting topic... Uh, and that is the price of games, because uh, if we're worried that games are too expensive, then they're going to become more expensive. That doesn't make sense. Um, and we're, so before I dive into this, we're also going to be talking about some news from uh, for Microsoft, a bunch of gaming news, the new Battle Royale game from Ubisoft, which uh, is pretty cool. I've uh, given it a try and some other news. I'm Patrick Beja. Very glad to be welcoming you to Pixels. And um, I'm going to start, as I said, with this rumor, uh, extrapolation, uh, suggestion, reasoning that games might be more expensive for the next generation. That comes from one game being priced at $70 instead of $60 in the U.S., and uh, the price varies uh, depending on the uh, region you're from. Here in Europe, they were about seventy dollars, seventy sorry, seventy euros already. They had been since the last increase uh, that happened at the same time for everyone. That was for the PlayStation Three and Xbox One, no Xbox Three Sixty generation back in two thousand six, I believe. And so the games cost 70 euros here and 60 euro, 60 dollars in the US. The price isn't as different as you might think because um in the US that price is before tax and in uh, the EU that price includes tax. So it is relatively close depending on how um the exchange rate goes between dollars and euros. So more or less depending on the year it will be when you include the tax roughly equivalent. Um, The number is still a little bit higher in Europe. And what we're seeing is that that price is rising to 75 euros in Europe. So by five euros, where it's rising to $70 in the US. So rising by $10. And to be clear, this is the price of NBA 2K on the next generation consoles when it's at the traditional price on the current generation consoles. And um, that is not the price that is being um, applied to every game as far as we know. Um, Actually, I'm saying that 
uh, we're starting to suspect that it might be the price that is going to be applied to every game. So that's the uh, recommended price, the retail price that you will see, the, the full ticket, the full sticker price, right? And um, there are a number of things to say about this because, of course, a lot of people are unhappy. <laughs> people on the internet are unhappy, imagine that. And have a hard time understanding how you could justify the increase of a price that is already nominally fairly high. And I think it's worth diving into. And uh, there are a lot of things to take into account. And I'm not going to come down on either side of... Well, actually, I am going to come down on one side of the issue. I think at some point, it is understandable that uh, game prices are going to increase... And hopefully, if you agree now, well, you already agree, so thank you. Uh, if you disagree, I would like to present to you a few elements that uh, will hopefully make you consider things in a different way, not necessarily, you know, definitely fall on the side of, yes, they should increase, but maybe look at this in a different way uh, at the end of, the, um, of the, that section. The first one is, of course, uh, inflation. And... Prices have not risen in almost 15 years. The price was uh, set to 60 bucks. I'm going to use the American numbers here just for ease of use. But um, 60 bucks last gen uh, two generations ago, so that was in 2006. And since then, the costs have increased. The, the, the inflation means that uh, prices have increased significantly. And of course, $60 back then represented a lot more money than $60 today. Even if you get to uh, $70 now, I mm, actually let me um, inflation calculator. I'm going to speak of uh, actual terms. Let's go to an inflation calculator. I'm going to look at uh, nine, uh, 2006 and do 60 bucks and 2020 calculate. So 60 bucks in 2006 is equivalent to 76 bucks in uh, 2020. So even by getting the price, by increasing the price to 70 bucks, they are not matching the actual value that they were getting in 2006 for that uh, amount. And of course, inflation being what it is, it means that in that time, your purchasing power, on average, if you're in a bad situation, I'm sorry, but on average, your purchasing power, power increased more than... Uh, the price of the game, even with the added $10. So relative to 2006, a game that costs 70 bucks today is still cheaper compared to the average purchasing power than it was in 2006. So that is one thing that is important to note. Um, the other thing that is important to note is uh, games are a whole lot more expensive to create and to produce. And I'm not, you know, on that one, I don't have specific numbers, but I can guarantee you that most games, uh, we're talking about AAA titles, and I'll get back to the different types of prices that exist today and uh, that didn't exist back then. Um, but 
Games are a lot more expensive to produce today. You have teams of hundreds and hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people, uh, that are needed to create all the assets and all of the art and uh, all of the QA and all of the... Even when you don't include marketing, which is also a cost to take into account, which has exploded, um, even for the pure uh, coding and designing of the game itself, the the cost, the budget for a game that uh, is produced today is obviously a lot higher than it was before because in 2006, you would create a game with a smaller team and the game was more simple. You didn't have to be as precise in the environment you would design. The, geog the, the geometry of the models were, wasn't as complex. You didn't need to paint textures that were as uh, complicated. And, you know, in 2006 still, I'm not going to talk about the game design itself, but suffice it to say, games were simpler to make. So that is also something to take into account. Of course, when you say that, I can hear you say already, uh, uh, yelling at your phone, but Patrick, you have so many more people buying the games that it averages out. Um, maybe it does, but... I am fairly certain that the increase in budget needed for AAA titles is, uh, has increased more than the potential audience for those titles. And to be completely honest, that is why we have microtransactions that have exploded as well. Now, of course, the actual main reason why we have mi microtransactions is that uh, developers, like every other uh, person on the planet or company loves money and they see it as a way to make more money but it's not um false to say that budgets have also uh exploded and that one of the reasons why we have those additional monetization schemes is that you need to compensate for a cost uh that hasn't increased and that isn't to say that with the increase of the cost you will get uh, uh, that averaging out. Like you don't need microtransactions anymore because the cost has increased. First of all, because as I mentioned, the increase uh, of due to inflation means that even with the 10 extra bucks, you don't get as much value out of that price as you did back in 2006. And uh, the budget having exploded for the production of the games means that you still need uh, to bring in more money uh, than the price that people pay on the box to make it work. Um, there are a number of other things to take into account. Um, games aren't as uniformly priced as they were. Uh, you have, of course, the uh, digital nature of purchasing means that you have less it's less easy to get games secondhand and to pay them uh, less. But we also, and that's something that people often forget when they talk about that uh, physical versus digital debate, we also have a, a lot more ways of getting our games, sometimes through incredible sales and very often through incredible sales. I would venture to say that the number of people who buy the game full-priced when it's released is likely lower than the number of people who get it for 
a cheaper price down the line. Well, I mean, it depends on the game. Some games sell a lot up front, some of, some of them will have longer legs, but for some, it might be the case. And we have games that are included in subscriptions. We have games that are given away in different uh, uh, through different means. Um, there are many, many ways of getting games and many more ways of getting games than there were before. Now, there are a ton of games that aren't at the full price of a regular game. Uh, many of the experiences are much cheaper. Indie games, but not only. We've heard that Star Wars Squadrons, um, the EA game that's coming out in the fall, is going to be 40 bucks. It's a smaller experience and it's, you know, it exists like that. There are also many, many free games, free-to-play games, which some of them are going to nickel and dime you, especially on, on mobile, but some of them are going to keep all of their microtransactions uh, as non-gameplay affecting cosmetic uh, upgrades, which mean really the gameplay value is intact and you can play them forever without paying anything. Um, you have, so you have a ton of ways of monetizing things. Uh, what it comes down to in the end, I think all of these points are valid. There's also actually another point that is very valid, which is um, well, a couple of points. Two more points, promised. I but promise. I, I, I'll stop after that. Uh, the first one is that games are um, a, a very cheap way of passing time. It, they're a very cheap hobby. And I know it's not something that is popular to say amongst gamers, but as hobbies go, there are very few hobbies that are cheaper than video games. First of all, well, there are a lot of free games, which you can probably play on a device you already own, so you don't even need to um, buy the device that you need to, to play them. And even those devices are probably relatively cheap compared to other things, because if you think about other hobbies, I guess if you're going to go out and uh, for a run, you're probably not going to spend a lot of money, um, possibly your sneakers, but that you can get relatively cheap. But anything else, or not anything else, a lot of other things that are hobbies are much more expensive. If you want to uh, take up some kind of uh, sport activity, you probably need to pay for uh, a club. If you want to go to a gym, you have to pay for that. If you want to, if you're into, okay, let's go to the other extreme. If you're into cars, <laughs> buying a car is expensive. If you're into golf, uh, golfing is not cheap. If you you can you know play sports for free, go to the basketball court or stuff like that. But the point is, um, there are a lot of other. If you're okay, if you like movies, um, if you want to go to the movies, then we need to start talking about price per hour of entertainment. A movie is 10, 15 bucks, and that's a couple of hours. A game can provide you anywhere between 10 to infinite amount of hours for that full um, price of 70 bucks. Even 10 hours, that comes down to about seven uh, bucks per hour. And it's very rare that you're going to have a game that is only going to be uh, useful, quote unquote, for 10 hours. But even that, it's seven bucks per hour at 70 bucks per um, game. And that's the roughly the price of the hour of movie entertainment, right? So that is the highest price you're ever going to pay for a game. Many, many of them are either free or lower price and will give you, you know, 20, 30, 50, 50, 
100, 300 hours of game time. I have played Overwatch for hundreds of hours and it cost me 40 bucks. Um, so it, it, it is actually a very cheap hobby. It is also um, surprisingly recession resilient. And actually that is because of course it's cheaper to stay home and it is because it's quite a cheap uh, hobby. The price of a console even is a little bit of an investment, but you don't have to buy the latest one at full price. Um, and you can probably game on your PC if you're really broke. Um, there are many, many ways of playing uh, you know, very decent games, even even on phones, um, if you're if you're if you don't have a lot of money. So, what I'm trying to say, ultimately, is um, the price, the right price. That is what it comes down to. What is the right price for games? Is it sixty bucks? Is, do we want it to remain sixty bucks forever? Uh, how long do we have to keep it at 60 bucks? It's also, of course, buying something for, you know, paying a movie ticket 15 bucks and paying 70 bucks. You have kind of a nominal price, which is higher. 70 bucks is not an insignificant amount of money for many people. So I understand why we think that games are more expensive than other hobbies. Um, but when you think of it in a different way, I think it's clear that you know, it is actually pretty cheap. But um, so it, it, there is that question, you know, can games go up to 70, 80, 100 dollars that that symbolically that price is significant. But um, the, ultimately, I think the right price, the right maximum price for a AAA experience, I think it is the price that people are willing to pay. Um, and again, 70 is cheaper than 70 now is cheaper than 60 in 2006. And for the record, uh, before PlayStation arrived in, in 1995, Nintendo games were, I remember that in old francs, or I mean in francs, not euros, but uh, Nintendo games were about roughly the equivalent of 100 bucks back then. Uh, and Sony came in and lowered the price to about 60 in 1995, maybe 50 even. Um, it was a little bit more. No, it was probably 60. Um, the equivalent of that back then. So we, we actually used to pay games back then uh, 500 francs, which was, you know, a, a lot of money. It was more than it is even now with that 70 euros. Um, so... The price that people are willing to pay is the price you you set your price at, and um, I understand the the shock of having to pay more for a thing you've been used to paying sixty bucks for fifteen years. But how long do we keep that price at sixty? Right, with the inflation, it keeps getting higher. You know that value keeps getting lower and lower, and we can't keep it going for another generation, another two. I'm sorry, it doesn't, that's not how it works. It can't work like that. Um, so for me, I understand the price hike. I think it is, uh, uh, it's going to happen at some point. Of course, not every game is going to be at the full price, but some of them will. And that's how it's going to be. Um, if no one buys the games at that price, then 
no one will buy them. Maybe they'll consider selling games at a lower price. And that game, that price is the maximum price they set symbolically, kind of. They don't have to sell every game at that high price. But if they can't push the price at a generation change when they haven't done it in two generations, um, then they can never do it. And that is not healthy for anyone either. So, um, yeah, bottom line, I'm not super surprised nor um, against the increase in price. And I don't think it's going to mean we don't get microtransactions anymore, of course, uh, for all the reasons I've mentioned, including the uh, despicable greed of companies that are here to make money. But um, yeah, so that's probably going to happen. And uh, we'll see how gamers react. I doubt that the reaction will be, we don't buy games. Because already, very rarely. I mean, if you want the game, the moment it releases, and you want it delivered digitally, then you probably have to pay full price. That is the only configuration where you have to pay that full price. Um, if you get it physically, ironically, for a number of reasons we might discuss at another point, if you wanted physic a physical copy, then you might not need to pay full price, which is, yes, incredibly ironic. And if you want to wait, there are many ways of getting the game at a cheaper price. But um, yeah, so that's happening. It's happening. I'm convinced that most first-party games and big AAA titles would be at that will be at that high price. Um, and in the case of Microsoft, what that means is the Game Pass is even more attractive now than it was before. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty cool... Well, I mean, Game Pass is pretty cool already, which is interesting. I wonder how Sony is going to uh, potentially alter PlayStation Now down the line to match that, but we'll see. Um, talking about... Microsoft. A couple of things. So let's talk about PCs and console manufacturers. First, the two best-selling games in the world at the moment are Horizon Zero Dawn and Sea of Thieves. Two first-party um, console games, initially. Well, first-party console games, I, I guess they are. And they are the best... Uh, by the way, the legs on Sea of Thieves are incredible. What is happening? It's, it's thanks to the release on Steam, obviously, but that game has been so... The reception has been so lukewarm. And honestly, it seems to have continued to be lukewarm, even though some people like it. I'm even considering checking it out, which I, I hadn't considered... Uh, until now, because now it's it's making a little bit more noise again and again and again. It keeps doing that, but uh, so that's interesting, and that kind of validates the Microsoft uh, strategy of being everywhere. And Horizon Zero Dawn is um, being uh, um, is seeing reservations and pre purchases at an incredible rate. And that is also a traditionally first-party game, which, of course, it came out on PlayStation 4 like three years ago. But seeing that, I don't see how Sony doesn't make an, a, a habit of uh, releasing back-catalog, quote-unquote, games uh, to PC. It, once you've sold your game for three years on your main platform, then why would you not want an additional 
bag of money <laughs> by releasing it on PC as well. Um, of course, some people will say, you know, uh, it will be coming eventually on PC and I'm not going to buy it on PlayStation, whatever. That will be some people, but I doubt that uh, balances out the benefits of putting it out on uh, another platform and getting a buttload of additional money. So I suspect that will be a common practice in the future. <coughs> and I don't see how that could um, not be the case. Um, unless, you know, Sony, which is a money-loving corporation, actually doesn't love money, which again, I don't think that would be the case. So we'll see. We'll see how what happens there. But talking about um, exclusives and platforms, it seems we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the fact that uh, Warner Brothers might be willing to sell, uh, well, AT&T actually might be willing to sell Warner Brothers Interactive, which holds the licenses to the Warner Brothers properties for video games. And Microsoft, we said at the time, you know, EA, Activision, Blizzard, Take-Two, many of them, many of the big publishers, of course, might be interested. But Microsoft is interested as well, according to the latest rumors, which would be, I think, earth-shattering for uh, the, 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 the panorama of uh, gaming for the next few years. Because Warner Brothers Interactive has a lot of very strong uh, titles and IPs that would strengthen Microsoft's position in a way that, I, in my estimation, all of the previous purchases did not. They made, of course, a bunch of purchases, but in uh, uh, the, the package that Warner Brothers Interactive includes, you have um, Rocksteady, incredible studio that made the uh, Batman uh, Arkham series, and that has other things, which means, oh, by the way, of course, all of the DC Universe uh, licenses, I believe, come with it. Um, there is, uh, uh, it, I mean, it, it, they would be given, I'm sure, an opportunity to buy the licenses with them. And I think if Microsoft was to do this, they would want to get the licenses as well. It wouldn't make sense to only buy the studios and not get the licenses. So for the sake of discussion, I'm assuming that they would uh, be willing to first reimburse the debt of all of those studios um, and the willingness to 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 buy uh, to buy out the licenses for those games, but so Rocksteady Studios, Nether Realm, which is Mortal Kombat, uh, the Lego games, um, the the uh, Middle Earth games uh, from Monolith Productions, uh, a bunch of you know there are a number of other games, uh, WB Games Montreal, uh, Avalanche Software, uh, which by the way also includes the Harry Potters. Uh, the Harry Potter series, thanks to the licensing with Warner Brothers. So that would be really, really big if they do end up getting them. And of course, it would be big for any studio, you know, if EA or Activision uh, gobbles up um, uh, uh, Warner Brothers Interactive. 
and again, I'm including in that assumption the fact that they would get the licenses with, with those. So that would be pretty big. But for Microsoft, of course, it would mean um, in the console wars, Microsoft gets all of that uh, with it. And they become Xbox slash PC, but Xbox uh, exclusives. And that is a big thing, especially when you realize that probably all of those will be included in Game Pass. Um, that would be huge. Not that Game Pass isn't already huge, but that would make them... I think that would put them um, on the exclusives war. Sony clearly has a leg up at the moment. We'll see what Microsoft is cooking. But clearly, Sony has a leg up. Uh, that would bring them significant, significantly closer to Sony. So that would be really big. I'm rooting for Microsoft to get them. I think it would be a much better home for all of those uh, licenses than arguably any of the other uh, big publishers. But um, we'll see. And talking about information on what's happening with Microsoft, we're uh, getting a uh, Xbox showcase on July 23rd. That's less than two weeks away. It is extremely exciting. We're also going to get the, um, the Ubisoft Forward, which is going to be uh, streamed in just a few days here. So we're going to get a number of new games and announcements. Uh, it seems that theoretically the July 23rd showcase for the Xbox would be our, our first look at Halo Infinite, finally, and potentially a price reveal for the Xbox Series X. I mean, at this point, we're in the middle of, of summer. If they don't reveal the price for a Series X, I, I don't know what's happening. Uh, like, I guess they could reveal it in, in um, August. But, uh, and by the way, in August, they would be re revealing the uh, Series S, which, uh, according to rumors, would put, could potentially be launched or could have been launched after their Series X. So they would launch the Series X first. Again, according to rumors, that it might have been launched in August. Uh, of course, coronavirus, the COVID-19 has jumbled those plans, but it could have been launched for the Series X in August and the Series S in the fall, uh, October or November. But uh, regardless, we're going to see games in July in just a couple of weeks, and then the Series S, according to the rumors, in August. So we'll see how that goes. And um, for the showcase, the game showcase, we're going to have a number of, a large number, between 75 and 100 game demos playable on Xbox One uh, for a week. That kind of takes the place of a, an E3 that didn't happen. So a lot of exciting stuff happening there. Uh, if, you know, if Microsoft manages to get Warner Brothers to sign it and announce it with, again, with the licenses during that July 23rd, um, you know, that, that Phil Spencer, um, almost said Phil Schiller, Phil Spencer comes on, on screen and he's like, we're so happy to uh, be welcoming a number of amazing studios into the Microsoft Studios family. Um, NetherRealm Studios, Rocksteady, etc., etc., and we will be, you know, uh, uh, getting those that and that and that license. It, it would be the biggest news of this uh, E3 quote unquote uh, uh, season. It would be okay. Granted, the 
bar isn't that high to clear. Even I count the reveals of PlayStation 5 and Xbox One, uh, an Xbox Series X in that. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm being cheeky. But um, it would be amazing news. Um, we'll see. Maybe maybe it's too, um, there isn't en- enough time for that to happen. But, uh, you know, if Microsoft, Microsoft has a lot of money, if they want it, maybe they can get it. Maybe Phil Schiller, no, Spencer is uh, in, in Satya Nadell's office all the time these past few days going like, Satya, we really need that studio. We need those. Come on, give me the money. It will be amazing. I'm guessing that's not how that conversation goes. Oh, and by the way, talking about Game Pass, uh, we've had a couple of uh, really interesting uh, pieces of feedback from developers who are um, saying how beneficial being included in the Game Pass is for their sales outside of Game Pass. That's something that uh, uh, Phil Spencer has said more than once, that being on Game Pass actually is beneficial for games. And that's easy to understand, you know? It's, you're on Game Pass, a lot of people play it, they talk about the games to their friends, those friends don't really want to be on Game Pass and pay the subscription, so they want to check out the game, it's cheap enough, they buy it. In this case, it's um, Descenders, which is a... uh, a bike mountain bike game but um that we've heard about this um this precept this this claim for a while and we have at least one or two people who are saying yes that's true it's being super positive for our game um which is good to hear because of course there are a lot of questions that come with these uh, types of of subscriptions is it beneficial for game studios is one of them so it's really nice to hear that for them at least it is um let's switch to uh, other companies um shue yoshida has announced that uh, he is launching the playstation indies uh initiative uh, shue yoshida is one of the top execs at sony of course if you don't know um PlayStation Indies is a program that is going to focus on making sure Indies are at home on PlayStation, which is great because back in the PS3 era, in the early PS3, I would say, and maybe even at the beginning of PS4, Indies were uh, really interesting on PlayStation. And as time has has gone on, it's not that they have disappeared, but there we didn't feel the same commitment by Sony um, to that type of games. So now there is going to be a dedicated initiative that is going to uh, try to make sure this is uh, going to um, work out, uh, to work out for the indies. So that, I think, is pretty cool. The other thing I wanted to talk about um, is the new game by Ubisoft, the Battle Royale called Hyperscape? Hyperscape, yes. Um, So I've had a chance to uh, play it during the technical beta, is how it's called, I think. Um, It it is, so I guess the first question is, Battle Royale, really? Aren't you like two years late? And maybe they are, it's possible, but it's also possible that they can have a little they can carve out their niche in that space and i don't think you know of course there are a number of big games in that genre uh, 
PUBG is still huge. Fortnite is the hugest thing ever. Uh, Apex Legends seems to be very successful still. Uh, Warzone, Call of Duty is definitely not going away. Uh, that's a lot of players, I guess, but is it? Hyperscape seems like a relatively um, modest project and it has some very unique characteristics that means it might carve out its niche. It, it looks like a hybrid between um, a, battle, a classic military battle royale taking the elements of battle royale and an arena almost hero shooter. It is super fast. Uh, movement is ridiculous. You you double jump, you rush out, you uh, uh, have special abilities. That uh, That is really interesting, actually. You get uh, weapons, of course, which you don't really have to upgrade with different bits of upgrades. If you find the same weapon again, you fuse it with the one you have, and it increases its, uh, you know, stats. Uh, and the other aspect is elements that you find, little tools, abilities, that you have two of them, which makes it kind of similar to an Overwatch, for example. Um, and you get those two abilities in the same way, meaning if you find another one, there are maybe 10 different ones that exist. And if you find uh, another one of the ones you already have, you fuse it and it increases its stats or reduces its cooldown and stuff like that. And you have ridiculous movement things. You have a, 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 a leap. How's it called? Maybe leap. I can't remember. You have a ball. You can transform into a ball and, and jump like a giant ball jumping around everywhere. Um, you have a, a healing um, ability, you have uh, armor, it is maybe it lacks a little bit of clarity but it is definitely on the fun side of things we've definitely left the military aspect and fun in a way, in a neon um, almost Tron type way, which is not unpleasant and um, I think it is a really interesting take on that genre and I wonder if there is a space for it even in a saturated maybe it will bring people more people who aren't into the um battle royale military thing and who aren't into building stuff in Fortnite um so it is super fast time to kill is long meaning you have a lot of health and you have to shoot people a lot to get them down, which I think might be a little bit too much because it means you 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 need you don't die as much, so that's satisfying. But you also don't kill as many people easily if you're not very good like me. Um, so there's that. Um, you can revive if you you don't completely die when you're dead. You can inform your uh, teammates on some things, and then you can revive. It's interesting. Um, overall, I have found that it was a cool game. I think it's a cool game. I don't know how much I'm going to be playing it. I, it's, it's a case of there are too many great things in the gaming world. Um, and so just a cool thing might not be enough for me, but maybe it's going to be someone else's jam. Maybe it's going to be a lot of someone else's jams and it's not going to be the biggest battle royale ever but maybe it's going to be fun enough that um with a smaller community you know maybe you you only need um a hundred thousand people to play it regularly to make it viable um that you don't necessarily have to have a uh, two million uh 
you know, people playing it every week to make it a viable game. I don't know, but um, maybe that is what they're looking at. And certainly it looks like production value-wise, it's not an enormous investment for Ubisoft. So they're trying something, they're being realistic about it. I think it's an interesting one. Um, again, it's called uh, it's called uh, Hyperscape, and uh, we're getting in a few days. I think the demo ends today, but um, we're going to get the launch, I think, by the time Ubisoft Forwards rolls around, and that's going to be in just a few days. So, um, yeah, so there's that. A Crucible is going back in closed beta. Crucible is Amazon's um latest game which came out like a month ago and <laughs> i mean i don't want to be mean but i don't think i've ever seen any game go back into closed beta and that's to their credit you know it's not working out uh they don't have enough concurrent players they're going back in closed beta they want to work with the existing community on improving it and they're going to relaunch hopefully at some point we've seen a lot of games that have been worked on for a long time um and just kept online, this one is actually going be retired, which is a bit strange, but um, they're not letting it die. They're, they're still working on it, I guess. It is strange that, you know, those big tech companies are not managing to, even with all their money and, and power, aren't managing to make great games out of the box. Um, I guess it happens to all kinds of publishers and developers, but I don't know. This one was uh, an interesting one. Um, if you haven't seen it, the trailer, the teaser trailer for Shadow Warrior 3 is really fun. Um, I hadn't, I didn't know of that franchise, but that teaser definitely got me interested in it. And I went and bought Shadow Warrior 2 um, on Steam. And it turns out it is, I played for a little bit. It's fun. It is kind of, um, as someone, Mentis, I think, in my community put it, um, it's kind of the the weird uh, mix between Deadpool and Sekiro. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on that game, but Shadow Warrior 3, uh, the teaser trailer is fun, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the gameplay, because even though uh, the second one had huge issues in gunplay. Essentially, it's an FPS, and you can also wield a sword, and so it's a mix between melee and, uh, and, and FPS. And the S shooter of FPS is really not up to stuff. The gun feel is horrendous. So if they can keep the humor, make it a little bit less... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit less... How do I put this? The humor is a little bit crass, I'll say that. So a little bit less crass, but still there, the breaking the fourth wall, the Deadpool type of uh, uh, everything. Um, I think it's, it's, it's got potential. I'll definitely look into it. Uh, Pokemon Go is breaking records now. Like, it's doing better than it has been in its entire history. What the hell is happening with Pokemon Go? I guess people are still playing it even when they don't uh, have to go outside. Maybe that's why they're playing it more. But uh, I think it's notable that Pokemon Go is such a big success, even now, two, three years after its release. What was it? Pokemon Go, is it 2016? No. 2017, I, I think. I'll check. I'm checking live. Um, 2016, four years later. 
That is remarkable. Good on them. As if, you know, because Pokemon needed a little bit of a push. It was it was kind of a, a difficult franchise. It, it was difficult for them to survive. So um, the open world Harry Potter game is on track for 2021. That is something that is, I think, quite exciting. I mean, okay, it could be really fun. It could be a total dud. Um, but if it's well done, it would be. It could be a, a super fun thing. So um, it's it's still on track. They kind of announced it, and they made it very clear that um, J.K. Rowling had very little involvement with the game, which I found humorous but understandable for reasons I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, but yeah, that was funny. Um, Bethesda is teasing a TV adaptation of Fallout on Amazon Prime. And that is, you know, it's not the first gaming adaptation we've seen, but there are some, it seems we're, we're there. It seems we're, of course, The Witcher was one that was, uh, you know, it's live action. Where I'm guessing this is live action as well, but um, The Witcher was a big one. Um, and we have The Last of Us Part Two on HBO, uh, Fallout on Amazon Prime. It seems we're we're at a point where games are getting their live action equivalent. It's not movies; movies never cracked it, but maybe TV shows will, and that makes sense because TV shows have time enough time to install the complexity. <laughs> of some video games, not of all video games, but the, the character development, all of that. Um, it's, you know, when you want to make a, an adaptation of Mortal Kombat, you can't do it in a movie. You have to have a series. Actually, Mortal Kombat has gotten a lot better on the, a lot more fun on the story side recently, but um, in recent years. So yeah, Fallout on Amazon Prime. It could be very cool. Uh, oh, and I, I think I'm uh, legally required to mention that Donkey Kong Country is coming to Nintendo Switch Online um, this month, which I was never a big Donkey Kong Country fan, uh, and everyone seems to be losing their minds about the fact that it's coming to the Switch Online system. So if you like the Super Nintendo Donkey Kong Country, it's coming to Switch. And uh, I also wanted to mention that Tencent is launching a studio, a wholly owned studio in Los Angeles called Lightspeed LA. This is really interesting because um, they are really attacking Western audiences now. They own a large part of the Chinese market and Asian market in gaming. And um, they are now trying to take a look at the Western market as well, not just by bringing their uh, Eastern games to uh, the West, but also, or, you know, to taking a participation or completely purchasing Western studios, but actually developing new studios in the West. So I'm very curious to see what they will be developing. So I guess we'll see. Oh, hey, I'm back. Uh, I don't know if you heard the little one come in and cry uh, from <laughs> behind me, but uh, yeah, so I had to interrupt for the last couple of minutes of the show, really, because the last thing I wanted to uh, mention is that the, what is it, second, third wave of Me Too in the gaming industry is still going, and uh, Ubisoft seems to be the, the main target of the allegations, and uh, things are moving there. There are a number, number of 
um, executives that have either uh, left their job or been fired or um, suspended pending allegations, uh, pending, sorry, investigations. Um, the, the president of the company, Yves Guimot, has made a, a significant statement that he is taking these things seriously. And there have been discussions about how seriously he's been taking them because it's according to uh, many, it's unlikely that he didn't realize these things were happening. Um, and so, you know, I've, I, I don't know how uh, seriously you can take the declarations, uh, the, the statement, and he's saying that um, he's going to have a new head of uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, independent audit and a new head of something else. Bottom line, it seems to me he's taking it seriously. Some people are saying there need to be more actionable, uh, verifiable promises, which some of them I'm sure might be desirable. I'm sure some of them are also like, it's trapping yourself into something that you don't want to. But uh, the I think my ultimate uh, estimation at the moment about these things is that the proof will be in the pudding. Um, we've seen companies, it's difficult to uh, evaluate these things on promises, obviously. Some promises can be empty, some can be sincere, maybe some sincere ones end up not uh, uh, yielding the effects you wanted. But uh, we've seen a couple of times in recent years, I think uh, Riot Games was the previous wave, the, the main target of the previous wave of Me Too um, a couple of years ago. And my understanding is that culture has shifted at Riot Games uh, with the sincere efforts of the managing structure. That might not be the case. Maybe I'm misunderstanding what happened there. But my understanding is, is that it does uh, it has shifted. Um, there's also it, slightly related to these issues in the sense that they were made public and, and uh, there was a lot of outrage over them. Um, the issue of crunch and uh, quite frankly, toxic uh, company culture at Rockstar seems to have been addressed at least partially following the uh, reports from uh, members of the press and uh, the courageous denunciations, the courageous courageous uh, testimonies of uh, members of those companies and uh, the, the uh, potentially empty promises of the executives, which ended up, well, I shouldn't say potentially empty, I mean, estimated to be empty promises by some um, people who were looking at them, but they ended up being, what I'm trying to say, I'm <laughs> muddling the point, company uh, culture seems to have changed at Rockstar as well. And um, maybe it will happen at Ubisoft, maybe it won't. I think it's difficult not to look at the uh, apparent seriousness of Yves Guimau's statement without at least a little bit of hope. Um, the, the people who have come forward have mixed opinions. Some of them are saying, you know, I've, been, I've seen that before or given what I've lived through, I have a hard time believing that it will be, this is actually sincere. Uh, some of them are saying, we'll wait and see. I'm more on the wait and see uh, camp. Um, obviously, this has to have effects. And um, hopefully it will. It, we've seen that it can work in some other companies. And uh, this is the way things should move forward. They don't change overnight. But um, it, I'm seeing a lot of what I think should be the things 
that happen when these these uh, victims come forward. In those, you know, I talked a lot about Ubisoft, but I think that is being replicated everywhere. Uh, there are consequences. Again, with Ubisoft, there have been very serious consequences for the people who were accused. Um, and there should be consequences in other areas as well. We've seen this with uh, uh, some pretty horrendous accusations against the um, the, the president uh, or the is, is he CEO? Um, yes, CEO of um, of Evo, uh, which is the fighting game competition, and uh, he's been ousted. And Evo Online, which had other problems anyway, not related to anything, you know. Uh, and, harassment or anything like that but um that has been cancelled um and in the gaming in the fighting game community we've seen a lot of accusations as well and from what i've seen i don't think it's anything bubbly uh it's not a bubble because when people are angry are being angry stereotypical stereotypical uh angry gamers um i usually see those views being expressed as well uh, and what I've seen now is a whole lot of good riddance, you know, a whole lot of people saying, this is not what behavior we want to see in our community, which honestly might seem obvious when you're talking about sexual harassment and sexism. But again, think of a few years ago, um, that is that wasn't a given, that is not what uh we would have expected to happen as incoherent as it might sound it might seem in our heads um i'm only seeing behaviors or reactions that are taking the side of the anti-sexism anti-sexual harassment anti-bro company culture um camp so I think, I hope this is a significant step in the right direction. I'm saddened and a little bit discouraged by the fact that we're needing to see another wave of those things for, you know, that it's necessary to see yet another one of those things. Um, we've had, as I said, a, maybe at least one big one. Uh, the, the Riot Games one is is. You know, the Riot Games change happened in the previous wave. I'm hoping there won't be a third one. You know, um, I mentioned on Twitter um, something along the lines of, you know, this is the, the second wave. Uh, if you're a video game publisher or developer or, you know, in any industry, really, but especially in the gaming industry, don't wait for don't wait for wave three to do something, you know, don't wait for your company's name to be associated with, with wave three, with something like that, to do something about it. Um, I think you should have looked into your company culture and, and uh, put things in place already a while ago, at the very least at wave one, but now wave two, you have to, even if you think you're fine, I think, well, I'm not an expert on the topic, so obviously look into um, someone serious uh, and, you know, some, I'm sure there are consulting companies that can tell you what to do. But it seems to me 
that at the very least, if you're a moderately sized company, um, a way to report these kinds of things anonymously and to an independent um, third party is a minimum. To at least, so that you at least are at least are aware. Obviously, we've seen again and again, HR is not equipped to deal with these things. And HR is an internal structure. So it seems to make sense that, you know, they, they usually it doesn't work. Maybe when we have shifted the culture enough to uh, not have uh, sexism and sexual harassment part of the fabric of our society, maybe at that point, HR will be capable of handling these things. It seems at the, the moment they are not. So at the very least, I think putting in place a third party that can that people can go to to talk about these issues um, and so that you can know about them seems like a minimum but you know that's my feeling from everything I've read and everything I understand about these issues and how to tackle them but uh, obviously again I'm not an expert I am not even um, especially directly uh, concerned by not concerned that's a Frenchism uh, I'm not uh, 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 you know, directly involved in those things. So go look it up. Uh, you probably have the means if you're the head of a big company. But um, yeah, don't wait for wave three. Don't wait to be associated with this in a very negative manner, because as we've seen, it it is part of, unfortunately, the, the, the society, our culture. And it seems even more because there are so many men in the gaming industry um, the, the our industry it's it is a bro uh, uh frat house culture or it has been it's it's changing and uh it seems inevitable and i would say maybe it is it was inevitable until now um but it it isn't anymore and and from this point forward to be honest from a couple of points back forward but from this point forward if if this is still happening uh in your structure, then I would argue before it might not quite have been your fault, maybe arguably like this is how things worked, as horrible as that sounds. But now, <laughs> from now on, it is definitely your responsibility. If things keep happening, you can't say you didn't know, right? So um, look into that. All right, that's it. I hope you had a good time. Um, I hope you uh, got something out of this show. And I definitely had a fun time with you. We'll see. Uh, I'm supposed to go on vacation for a few weeks, uh, right at the moment where all of those things happen. So we'll see if I do mid-vacation shows, which means it won't be vacations anymore. But maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, regardless, if I don't talk to you now, I will probably talk to you at, uh, in the fall and we'll summarize everything that had be, has been happening. So uh, in the fall, in a few weeks, in a few weeks, it's okay. Fine, I'll be back. Um, and I'll talk to you then. Not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, if you want to see, by the way, my son being adorable, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter, but... Instagram is more fun. And um, I will talk to you in a few weeks. <laughs>